Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith, and currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Through 22 is basically what we're going to be looking at. Going back just a few verses, I want to I want to start with verse 12. Verse 12. Would somebody mind reading verse 12? So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So he sent out the dove, and the dove did not return. Somebody want to read verse 13? By the first day of the first month of Noah's six hundred and first year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. So verse 13, he removes the covering, he sees that the ground is dry. Somebody mind reading verse 14? By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Excellent. The earth was completely dry. Here we have obviously a passage of time between 12 and 13, and then 13 and 14. We don't know exactly how much time passed between verses 12 and 13, but moving from verse 13 to 14, it's almost two full months. And it's told us twice in those verses that the earth is dry. So Noah, what are you waiting for? (laughs) If the earth is dry, as we heard in verse 13, we heard the earth is dry in verse 14. What is Noah waiting for? Well, I think we have a clue when we look at verse 15. Somebody mind reading verse 15? Then God said to Noah. Then God said to Noah. (laughs) What was Noah waiting for? God. Looks like he was waiting to hear from God, right? You know, too often in life, I think we end up in a situation where, you know, for all intents and purposes, it looks like a good time to move. It looks like a good time to get out. It looks like a good time to make progress in a certain direction. It looks like, what are we waiting for? Sometimes when we feel like our senses would say, go, we should wait and wait for God. Now, there are other times when we should go. All right. There are other times when God would say, just take a step. I am ready to lead you if you'll just pick up your leg and move it. <laughs> right? But in other situations like this one with Noah, it's time to stop even when everybody else, even when all the circumstances might say go. All right? So Noah, what is he waiting for? He's waiting to hear from God. One of the things that we see among the three primary attributes that were given about Noah in the flood narrative is this one right here. He's attentive. He's listening for God's voice. He's listening for God's voice. What is involved in hearing God's voice? I know God speaks in different ways to different people in different situations, right? But one of my favorite stories about listening for God's voice, if you would, please turn with me to 1 Kings. 1 Kings 19, verses 11 and 12. A little bit of the background in this story. Elijah, one of my heroes of the Bible. Elijah, he's just had this great victory at Mount Carmel. And then he gets some bad news. The bad news is there's a death warrant out for his life, all right? Queen Jezebel's like, you know what? If I get my hands on you, you're dead. All right, so he takes off running. And he goes to the mountain of God. He's far, 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 far away now from where the victory happened. And he's on the mountain, and God says, get out of that cave that you're hiding in, all right? Go to the mouth of the cave, basically. And he says, and I'll pass by. Somebody mind reading verses 11 and 12. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. 
And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire the sound of a low whisper. So you've got this story in this situation. The first thing that happens is this great wind. This wind is so great, it's able to break rocks. I've been in some high winds, but I haven't seen a wind that's able to break rocks. And I'm thinking if I was in a wind that was able to break rocks, I'd be thinking, God's trying to say something. (laughs) But that wasn't the situation here. God wasn't speaking in the wind. And then the next situation, the next encounter that you have is the earthquake. And I tell you what, you guys, we live in California. We know what it feels like to have an earthquake. And when the earthquake hits, man, you don't care about anything else right now. You're like, when's it going to stop? How big is it going to get? Is it going to get bigger? Is it going to get smaller? Should I dive under the table? Should I dive in the doorway? Wait, when I was a kid, it was okay to be in the doorway. Now it's not okay to be in the doorway. <laughs> now I'm supposed to get under or something. You know? And we got this whole thing that goes along with, and it's like, God's moving the earth. God's shaking the earth. But God wasn't speaking in the earthquake. So we had the wind. We had the earthquake. No God speaking in the wind. No God speaking in the earthquake. We have a fire. No God speaking in the fire. And then after that is a gentle whisper. All right, Those are big things. Shake your world, right? And God's not speaking in the shake your world type of way. He's speaking in a still small voice. He's speaking in a gentle whisper. Again, this is just one example of God speaking. What does it take for Noah to hear from God? I don't know, but he hears. He's listening for God in the cacophony of the world around us. We might be tempted to think that we live in a world that's loud and noisy with violence, loud and noisy with wickedness. You know what? It's not going to be any more so than Noah was. His whole world was wiped out because of the wickedness. So the noise of wickedness all around him, Noah could still hear from God. That should be encouraging for us. Because sometimes we think, oh, I've just been bombarded by all these wicked messages all around me in the world. Noah could still hear from God in that situation. So can we. We can still hear from God. All right? Uh, by the way, if you notice in those verses in 1 Kings 19, 11, and 12, what, what do you have? You had the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. Earth, wind, and fire. Is that, uh, yeah. Name, fire, no, okay. <laughs> Just a joke there. All right, moving on. So you've got attentiveness as one of the uh, three primary characteristics that you have of Noah. One of the interesting things, too, if you look at this, going back then to Genesis, Genesis chapter 8, verse 15, Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Do you recognize that wording? Does that wording sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Where does that wording sound familiar? Do you remember what chapter? Chapter. All right, good. You're going back. It's nice and early. It's actually chapter 1, near the very end of chapter 1. Go to verse 28. What does it say there in 128? Somebody mind reading that. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So here you have in the situation of the six days of creation, this is the end of the sixth day, and God's directions to mankind are be fruitful and multiply. It's basically, I've got it all taken care of, and now it's your job to go be fruitful and multiply. And here we have the situation now. After the earth has been wiped out of all its violence and inhabitants, that Noah and his family are told to be fruitful and multiply. But you have a situation here. It says that so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. So he's talking about the animals as well. So you've got fruitful and multiply applying to the people and to the animals. Verse 18, so Noah went out. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. One of the other things that we see about Noah is obedience. 
All right, so two of the three primary characteristics that we see of Noah in this account are his attentiveness, he's listening for God's voice, and then he obeys. He obeys. You know, sometimes we hear God's voice. Sometimes we hear what God's saying to us. And once in a while we're obedient, and once in a while we're not. Once in a while we hear God saying, no, no, don't do that. Uh, you know what, I'm just going to go my own way right now. I'm going to do my own thing right now. And we adopt disobedience where we should be putting on obedience, right? So attentiveness, obedience, two of the things that uh, you see in Noah's description from this flood account. One of the things that you see as well here is that Noah is pretty silent in his obedience. John Walton is a commentator, and he says this. He says, Noah is silent. He never speaks through the whole flood account. He has no response to God's announcement, no questions about the ark of the animals, no plea on behalf of anyone else, no cries for mercy, no bursts of joyful gratitude at the prospect of being saved, no grief for a world destroyed, no impatience in the ark, and no prayers of thanksgiving accompanying sacrifice. The narrator leaves Noah a flat character. The only personality he has is found in the characteristics attributed to him by God. The text could not be clearer that Noah is a bit player and that the star of the account is God. That the story is about God much more than it's about Noah. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty cool. Because if you look at Noah and you make him a hero and you put him on a pedestal, you have a tendency to think that he's distantly removed from you. What we need to realize is that the star of the story is God. And him being on a pedestal, that's where he needs to be. <laughs> All right, And that Noah is a person not too much unlike us. And that we can exhibit characteristics like Noah did because he's human just as we are human. All right? So Noah is silent throughout this whole thing. We've never heard him speak anywhere yet. No recorded words of Noah anywhere in the flood account. There will be some. They're still coming. Yet future, we haven't seen any yet. All right? So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. Verse 19, every beast, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth according to their families went out of the ark. That were their families. Verse 19. We're used to running across these groups of animals. And you remember, so often we've run across the groups of animals and it's been according to their kinds, right? It's been according to their kinds. This is actually a different word. In the Hebrew, it's a different word. It makes you wonder, why did they choose a different word here? According to their families. Wait a minute. If you're a clean animal, how many of you are there on the ark? All right. How many of each of the clean animals were there? Seven. Seven. How many of each of the unclean animals were there? Two. Two. All right. That's not much of a family. All right. It almost implies that maybe there was some reproduction going on on the ark. Maybe there's more animals coming out than there were going, going in. And if you remember when we looked at the capacity of the ark and whether or not it was able to hold all of the kinds, we found that there was extra space. That there was actually more than enough room for the animals that were getting on the ark. Perhaps the extra space was because now they're families. Now there's more. I don't know, it's speculation. It's something that one of the commentators brought out. I want to throw that out for you. Kind of fun to consider. Verse 20. Somebody mind reading verse 20? Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Excellent. Thank you, Bianca. Here we have in this verse the very first mention of the word altar in the Bible. This is the first time an altar is mentioned. It's not the first time, though, that sacrifices have happened. We remember Cain and Abel's story. They were, they were offering sacrifices to God. But they didn't have the word altar in that account. So it's kind of interesting that we stop and pause here and consider that. 
Also consider what's being offered. You notice that uh, from what category of animal are the offerings being made? Clean. From the clean animals, right. And we'll have later on in Leviticus, if you're reading through your Bible chronologically and you go from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you get to Leviticus. And in chapter 11, it's going to differentiate what the clean animals are and what the unclean animals are and what characteristics you would look for to help you decide, is this animal in the clean category? Is this animal in the unclean category? And in that situation, it's going to be the ones that are suitable for sacrifice and also having to do which ones are suitable for food. What kind of offering do the animals serve for? For a burnt offering for a burnt offering. In Leviticus chapters 1 through 7, it talks about the five primary types of offerings, five different types of offerings. Uh, One of them is a burnt offering. Another one is a peace offering. You've got a sin offering. You've got a trespass offering. And the other one is, I think New King James calls it a grain offering. Some of them call it a meal offering. Um, Basically, it's a food offering. Five primary types of offerings that are delineated or or described in Leviticus chapter 1 through 7. Regarding... The offerings, these five offerings right here, the burnt offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the grain offering. If this was a study verse by verse through the book of Leviticus, we would look at these and see that Christ ends up being a type, that each of these is a type, and Christ ends up being a fulfillment of each of these types of offerings. Um, I wish I could do that study, but it's <laughs> we'll have to get to Leviticus, right? We'll have to just press on <laughs> get to Leviticus for that. The burnt offering later on, by the time you get to Leviticus, and as you see that it's put into practice, some of the things that are associated with this as being a burnt offering, number one, it was something that was offered every day. In fact, it was offered twice a day. The burnt offering was offered once in the morning and then also once again in the evening. All right? It's also sometimes called a free will offering meaning freely or voluntarily is the way that it would be offered. A free will offering then therefore often carried with it the component of joy because it was something you could freely, you hopefully would have a motive of joy associated with it. There was a little bit of an expiatory, uh, basically an atoning for sin, but it's not the primary offering that's used for sin. All right, But it does carry a component of that. Okay, I mentioned the thanksgiving part, the joyful part. There's also associated with it often a petition, or a request of God, and then it often follows after a crisis. All right, so here we have Noah. He's offering a burnt offering, and this is uh, after a crisis. <laughs> it's after a big situation. All right, it's a form of thanksgiving. It's a form of praise to God, and then if there's any unatoned sin for it, hey, it carries that with it as well. All right, and he offers. Does he offer one animal? Does he offer two? What does he offer? Every. He took of every clean animal and every clean bird. All right, so this is a big offering. This is a really big offering that he's giving. Okay? One of the other things, too, about a burnt offering, the burnt offering was totally consumed by the fire. There were other offerings that you could bring and that the priest would share in a portion of that or that even the person who would bring the offering would get to share in a portion of it. All right? So if you think in modern day terms, think of a barbecue. All right? <laughs> you would, there were some you would bring, okay, you get a piece of the barbecue. You know what I'm saying. I, I make a little bit light of it, but basically there were portions that the priest could enjoy and that there were portions that the offerer could enjoy. In this situation with the burnt offering, it was totally devoted to God and totally consumed by the fire. All right? There wasn't anything that anybody held back. Regarding burnt offerings, all right, right here in this passage where you're looking at that, and you're looking at verse 20, burnt offerings. In Hebrew, the word there is ola. Okay? In Greek, the word is holocauston. The Greek version, the Greek word that's the equivalent of the Hebrew, it's holocaust. What images are conjured up in your mind when I say the word holocaust? 
in the last hundred years. What does Ola mean? Ola means passing through the fire and ascending to God. Ooh. Holocaust. Burnt offering. Ascending to God as an offering through the fire. Kind of powerful, huh? You got the goosebumps on the back of your neck right now? Mm-hmm. I do too. <laughs> All right. Moving on from there. Verse 21. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. That word for soothing, some of your versions might have pleasing. The word there is also kind of a little bit of a play on the word Noah. You remember, there's been several times we've run across words that have been play on Noah, right? The Hebrew words that come up in our text end up being a play on Noah. What does that suggest to us? It suggests that the original language is either Hebrew or an early form of Hebrew. All right? It suggests that the Hebrew language is not a secondary language that the Tanakh, that the Old Testament was put into. All right? That it was originally Hebrew or an early version of Hebrew. That's kind of neat to be able to see those when you see those play on words that only work in Hebrew. All right? They don't work in English. You have to have a Bible study to find out that they actually work in Hebrew, and you go, oh, that's kind of cool. All right? The Lord smelled a soothing aroma. The Lord smelled. Does, does God have a nose? No. <laughs> no. I mean, so why would the author put this in there? You remember we've run across this before. This is an anthropomorphism. All right? It's using something familiar to our human existence, to our human experience, to try to convey a spiritual truth. Okay? It's not speaking so much about God having a nose as much as it's saying to us that God accepted Noah and his sacrifice. There are two components to offering sacrifices to God that would cause your sacrifice to be acceptable, all right, or not acceptable. One is the offerer, and one is the offering, all right, the offering and the offerer, if you will, okay? So the offering, Leviticus chapter 22, verses 17 through 33, we don't need to turn there, there's a lot of verses there, but it basically talks about, in addition to being clean, what things were looked for in a sacrifice, all right? So, number one, you had to choose a male, and it had to be from the cattle, the sheep, or the goats. All right? So, typically, you would choose a lamb, or you would choose a, a calf, or a bull, or something. And then, in addition to that, verses 20 through 24, you can't bring to God anything that's blind or lame or bruised or broken or cut or that has an oozing sore or that is torn, or that is maimed, or that has a skin condition. I mean, there's a list of things that would disqualify your animal. A list of things that would cause your animal to be unacceptable to God. You were required to pick something that was blemish-free, that was perfect. Now, I know that we don't often engage in the animal sacrifice practice anymore. All right? But do we make sacrifices to God? We do. We should. (laughs) We should be making sacrifices to God in the form of our money, in the form of our time, our devotion, our affections. Are we giving to God the best? Because what what does that say? It says don't bring God anything other than the best. Do we give God the best? When we're sacrificing to God, do we give God the best? That's a challenge that we should be asking ourselves. Well, you know what? I have a need for my money more than God does. So, and I'll give them what's left over. Oh, I'm sorry, God. I don't have any left over this week. I'll catch up with you next week. Is that bringing God your best? No. 
Oh God, you know what? I go to church a lot, but you know this this Sunday is special. There's a special game on TV this Sunday. Is that offering God our best? No, it's offering Him leftovers. I heard a story one time where they were soliciting people to come and bring goods to support missionaries. And that somebody showed up with used tea bags. They used the tea bag once. Oh, you know, I only use the tea bag once. And then I wrap it up and I set it aside for the missionaries. Really? (laughs) Really? That's what you have to offer. Is that your best? Or how about people that donate a car? You got a car and the doors aren't even barely on anymore. Such a piece of junk. Oh, but you know what? I'll donate it to the church. Who oh, really? I think that qualifies as a lame. <laughs> when we give to God, when we sacrifice to God, as we should, we should be giving of our best. I had a conversation with a guy who's a pastor. And uh, in just talking, I said, are you ready for Sunday? Are you ready? Are you prepared? And he goes, I never prepare. I just let God speak. And I thought, no preparation? Is that giving God your best? It's kind of the way it struck me, because this... Uh, all right, let's move on. <laughs> Get myself all down. <laughs> all right, some exam. Turn to Malachi, all right? All right, Malachi is in, is in your Old Testament. It's the last book of the Old Testament, so it makes it really easy to find. All right, Malachi, basically this whole book <laughs> is an indictment on Israel for not bringing their best. Malachi's a minor prophet. He's not minor because he's short. He's minor because his book is a short book. All right, He wrote a long book. We call him a major prophet. But he wrote a short book. We call him a minor prophet. And he ends up saying pretty much in this short little book in four chapters, you're not bringing God your best. Just a couple little passages that we could look at here. Somebody mind reading chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8. Somebody want to do that one? Who wants that one? I've got three different passages. All right, Steve's got that one. How about chapter 1, verses 12, 13, and 14? Who wants that one? All right, sounds good. Thank you, Mike. And then how about chapter 3, verses 8, 9, and 10? Somebody want that one? Oh, go ahead. Esther? All right, Esther's got Malachi 3, 8 through 10. So, Steve, how about Malachi 1, 6 through 8? A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. Excellent. Thank you, Steve. So you've got a situation here where God's saying, take those wretched things and offer them to your governor. See how that goes over. Oh, man. (laughs) I'm not thinking that's going to go over well. All right, how about the next one? But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. One of the things that stands out about that passage to me is where people are saying, oh, what a weariness. You know, and you invite somebody to church and they're like, oh, 
And it's almost as if they have the same objection. Oh, what a weird is. I don't want to give up part of my life. And I used to be that way too. Before I was a Christian, I remember a day sitting on a dock with my feet in the water and the sun shining. It was a beautiful day and it dawned on me it was a Sunday morning. And I remember that day thinking to myself, there are fools in church right now missing out on all of this. I was in that position that if you were to say to me, hey, come to church with me, I would have said, oh. You know, my attitude would have been, what a weariness. What a burden. I don't want to go to church and give this up. Are you kidding? All right, next passage. Malachi 3, 8, 9, and 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Excellent. Thank you, Esther. One thing I want you to notice there is the beginning of verse 10. It wasn't that their crime against God was that they weren't bringing anything. It was that they weren't bringing all that they should have been bringing. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Bianca. Yeah, I mean, and he did it first before anything else. It's the very first thing that he did upon leaving the ark. It's the very first thing he did. You're exactly right. Good observation. So, I mean, when we give to God, it should be our first. It should be our first, not our last. Yep. Our first fruits. Yep. That's a word you're going to hear frequently when it's talking about offerings, giving to God, first fruits. That goes first. Oh, now I want to teach on the feast. Okay. <laughs> All right. Bring it back. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Thank you, Bianca. Good job. One of the things, too, that I want to point out here is look at the promise that goes with this one, right? Look at the end of verse 10. If I, it says, says the Lord, uh, and prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. Don't we just have right here in this flood account a windows of heaven picture? What happened when God opened the windows of heaven? The earth was inundated. It was flooded. When we're talking about God blessing, if he opens the windows of heaven of blessings, it's going to flood. What does God say? If you bring all the tithes in, test me in this. I will flood you with blessings. Now, I am not a name it and claim it type of guy when I'm teaching, but that sounds like a pretty good promise, and it sounds like it's from the lips of God to Malachi to the people. It sounds like God saying, you're not going to outgive me. That's what I take from it. You're not going to outgive me. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, and being vulnerable here, I can tell you in my own personal life that there have been times where there have been challenges to give. And my wife would feel much more compulsion to participate to a greater extent than I was feeling. But we would work it out and we would pray. And more than once, I would acquiesce and say, okay, let's go ahead and give to the amount that you're suggesting. Even though I'm going, I don't, I don't know about this. Because this could get us into some trouble. Some financial trouble. Because we could use that money somewhere else. And we end up finding out that you can't outgive God. And I find out, I should have just trusted. I should have just trusted at the forefront, at the beginning, rather than looking with my own wisdom, trying to think, oh, this is not a good idea, this is too much, we can't afford it. I should have just more abandoned, live live for God with a little bit more abandon. So we've looked at the offerings, suitable (laughs) offerings, and things that would be unacceptable offerings. How about the offerer? Turn to Micah. Micah's another minor prophet. Go to left, all right? Several books left. 
probably going to be 30 pages or so, depending on the size of the font in your Bible or whatever. <laughs> Micah chapter 6, verses 6, 7, and 8, talking about the offer. Somebody might reading those. 6, 7, and 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Excellent. Thank you, Esther. Here we have a situation here where Micah is presenting to his hearers, what should I bring to God as an offering? And he lists suitable offerings. In fact, it gets crazier and crazier as his list goes on. To the point, even by the end of the list, you're like saying, no, no, stop. You've gone too far. Don't bring any more. That, that's, no, 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 no. Don't do that. All right? And then what does he say? He's basically saying, even if I was to bring these, is that what God's looking for? No. What is it that God's looking for? According to this verse, how does it end? What is God looking for? Humility. Humility is one of the three. What else? Justice. Justice. And, and what else? Mercy. mercy. To live justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. That's what God requires. This is about the offerer. This is not about the offering. The offering, we've already seen what would be acceptable, what wouldn't, in old-time perspective. All right? And we've given ourselves a little bit of an application nowadays. It's basically, don't bring God your leftovers. Give God your first fruits. Give God your best. All right? That's about the offering. Now about the offerer, what it says here is, if you bring the greatest offering, it doesn't make a hell of beans different if you're not in it. You see what I'm saying? If it's not coming from your sincere devotion to God. Does that make sense? Turn to Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Matthew 23, 23. Somebody mind reading that? Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spice, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Excellent. Thank you. Who's speaking here? Jesus. Jesus is speaking. Is he in a good mood? <laughs> no. no, he is not in a good mood. All right, this is an episode where he is clearly not in a good mood. All right, he's got lots of woes for the people that don't want to be hearing woes right now. All right, and one of his woes we have here encapsulated in this picture. He's saying, you're going to extremes in giving your devotions to God. You're going to extremes. What is their extreme? They're tithing on their herbs. I don't even know what that looks like. Do you have 10 leaves on your little mint plant and you pluck a leaf off and you give to God that leaf? Is that what it looks like? He's basically pointing out that they do go through the motions of offering to God that are extreme. They are the religious leaders of the day. They're the models of what it looks like to be a religious person as far as society has accepted. So they're living an extreme kind of devotion when it comes to their offerings to God. What does he say to that? He's not saying do away with that extreme. He's saying you should have added to that something else. What is it that they should have added to that? Justice, mercy, and faith. Justice, mercy, and faith. Justice, mercy, and faith. When I have up here humility, remember what it was? The actual phrase? Humbly. Humbly with God. Do you see the same combination of three in this passage? Justice, mercy, 
and faith. What is faith? Walking humbly with our God, right? It's the same thing. Jesus is probably thinking of this passage when he's talking to them and giving them their, their woe. All right. What's that? I love when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> isn't that neat? It is neat, isn't it? Turn to Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Turn to Luke 18. Again, what was he What was he addressing in them? He was addressing the offerer. It wasn't the offering he had issue with. He had issue with the offerer, right? The condition, the heart, the spiritual condition of the offerer. Turn to Luke 18, 9 through 14. This is another situation where he's taking issue with the offerer, not the offering. Luke 18, 9 through 14 says this, And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So he's addressing, again, the same group. He's addressing a group of the religious leaders of the day. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, that's the representative of the group, the religious leader, a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Tax collector, despised. All right? You're talking the despised person in society because they're traitors. They're working for Rome. They're taking my money. I can't feed my kids because of that tax collector. All right. Yeah, Matthew was a tax collector, right? So you've got the Pharisee and the tax collector. So right away you're hearing the story and you're like, I know who I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for the religious leader. Tax collector. Ooh. I've been conditioned by my society to say, when I see the tax collector, right? So you've got the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this tax collector i fast twice a week i give tithes of all that i possess and the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying god be merciful to me a sinner and how does jesus wrap up the story verse 14 i tell you this man he's talking about the tax collector this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you notice the same three components in this story as well? The tax collector is justified. What was his prayer? Be merciful to me, a sinner. All right. And how about this one? Walking humbly with his God. Right. Everybody who humbles himself will be exalted. So we're seeing a pattern here. All right. Oh, boy. Looking at the time. All right. We're going to have to wrap this up. Beware of this. That offering, making an offering to God is not a magic formula. There's this notion that we have that in ancient pagan religions, that if you had a god of rain, an imposter god of rain, that if you offered something to that imposter god of rain, that maybe you would have rain. That if you offered something to the false god of fertility and your wife, you wanted her to bear children, you're trying to bribe the gods in the different areas of your life. And we look at that and we go, hey, that's so ancient, man, that's so old school. But don't we do the same kind of thing in our lives? And what I mean is this, maybe you're going through a hard time and you're thinking, oh, I should read my Bible more. And therefore God will look on me with favor. As if you're going to bribe God to be kinder to you than he already is. All right, oh man, I got some tough times coming up, I should go to church more. As if you're bribing God to come through for you when he wasn't willing to before. There should be obedience in our lives. There should be sacrifices that we make, but our motives can disqualify us from making the right sacrifice. There are times when our sacrifices are unacceptable to God. Just reading two passages in Amos chapter 5, verses 21 22. God saying, I hate, I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. 
Leviticus chapter 26, 31. I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation. I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. Disqualified. In the offerings? No, in the offerers. The hearts were not in it. All right? They're going through the motions of what it looks like to be a follower of God, and their heart's not in it. Here's another one. Let this one be convicting, because it always is for me. Psalm 66, 18 says this. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not listen. Did you know there are prayers you can pray that God says, I'm not even listening to you right now. <laughs> I have this thing with my kids, and sometimes I get the whiny voice. And I just tell them, I'm not even listening. I don't even hear what you're trying to say right now. I just, I hear the whiny voice, right? There are times when we come to God, and he, does, he says, I don't, I'm not even listening to you right now. Why? Maybe because we're cherishing sin in our heart. Maybe there's an area in our lives where we're saying, God, you know what? You can have almost all of me. You can have almost all of me, but this one little area, I'm going to hold on for myself. We're cherishing sin in our hearts. And when we do that, don't be surprised. God says, I'm not even hearing you right now. Pray for whatever you want till you're willing to obey me. Attentiveness, obedience, the other one is righteousness. And neat thing about Noah, his righteousness, declared by God. He doesn't call himself righteous. God calls him righteous. That's no different than it is in our lives. We are not righteous in our own. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Ooh, nasty. You look in the study of the filthy rags part of that. It's even worse. All right. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Where do we get any righteousness? It's imputed. Romans chapter 4 talks about the imputed righteousness in our lives. So Noah's combination, righteousness, attentiveness, and obedience. He's righteous, declared by God to be righteous. Obedience and attentiveness, listening for God's voice, hearing God's voice, and putting it into practice. We should be doing the same. We should recognize that our righteousness, we need to be making right decisions as much as in our ability, but ultimately when it comes down to it, the saving part is, the saving grace part of it, the righteousness comes from God in our lives. And we should be attentive then, listening to God, and then obeying his voice. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to go through your words some more. Lord, and even though these opportunities have parameters on time, Lord, and it feels like pushing against the time every time, we thank you, Lord, for the chance we've had to spend... I don't know, 45 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever the case is on a weekly basis, Lord, to be in your word. Thank you for challenging us. Help us, Lord. Help us to have those qualities that Noah exhibited. A righteousness, Lord, declared by you, not in ourselves. But help that to show, Lord, in the way that we live. Help it to show in our attentiveness to listening for your voice. Help it to show in our obedience, Lord, in the way that we behave. We thank you, God, that uh, no matter what we could bring in the form of an offering or a sacrifice, Lord, really, it doesn't make a hill of beans difference unless our heart is in it, unless we're sincerely devoted to you. Those other things, Lord, they're not going to bribe you. They're gonna, not going to make you uh, show us extra favor or any extra love. How could you? You already have so much love poured out for us. There's no way we could increase that. God, we pray that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to grow in our perspective and our understanding of you. Go with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right.